Are you looking for inspiration? In need of career guidance? Wondering what path successful people take? Listen up. I am Vibha Kagzi, CEO and founder of reachiv.com, a Harvard alumnus and the author of Break the MBA Code. I'm going to be your host on this weekly show called House of Experts, where you can get an insight into a wide range of career choices directly from industry stalwarts. So buckle up and get ready to take off. Okay, awesome, good. You're you're my favorite guest on the show. So, guys, welcoming everyone to House of Experts, episode twenty nine. Uh, very special guest, uh, probably our youngest guest ever on the show. Uh, youngest in terms of number of years, but definitely uh, way ahead of his peers at his age. Uh, Sakit Modi, um, founder and CEO of Lucidius, a company in the cybersecurity space that's headquartered out of. Palo Alto and uh, backed by Cisco CEO John Chambers. Saket is also Forbes 30 under 30, Fortune 40 under 40, and has many, many accolades under his belt. In fact, uh, this afternoon when we were speaking, he also mentioned that he's won uh, the government, government of India's award for uh, best cybersecurity firm in the country. So congratulations, Saket, yet another feather uh, in your very young hat. So congratulations. And super excited to have you on the show, Saket. Lots to learn from you today. Welcome. Your voice is cracking, Viva. I apologize. Just... Okay. Uh, can you hear me now? Yep, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay, great. So I just introduced you and I said uh, lots of feathers under your cap. And I talked about the Government of India Award that you just told me about. So congratulations. Oh. And, Even I uh, spoke. Oh, oh, shit. I spoke the best things that I've ever spoken in my life, Viva. You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So welcome to the show. And let's get started, Saket. So as you know, at Reach IV, we are a careers and study abroad organization. And you know, I, I really believe like what we do today is obviously uh, a reflection of our early years. So if you don't mind, if you could flash back to early years, what was your childhood like? You know, just, just take us back to a journey in time and tell us a little bit about your childhood. Sure, Vipa, considering you said that I'm the youngest, I like to assume that my childhood is still going on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I hope that never goes away. Now, uh, you know, I'm, I'm born brought up in Calcutta. And, uh, you know, I went to schooling there. I went to Jaipur after that for a college uh, in, for my computer science engineering. Uh, I've been a geek and a nerd all my life. I've been a terrible student. <laughs> I think most of my teachers remember me for being uh, probably one of the naughtiest one in the class. 
and um, I think an easy identification of Saqib in the class would be somebody who doesn't sit in the same place for more than 10 seconds. Uh, so I was jumping around all the time. I can tell you not a lot has changed over the years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so that was cool days. And then uh, I was a geek and a nerd. I think um, I was terrible at most of my uh, subjects, but uh, uh, I think I was reasonably good in mathematics and computer science because those were areas that I was pretty passionate about. And I uh, got fortunate to get into computer science engineering in my college. And, uh, and yeah, that was cool to call it. How did the love for computer science come through? Was it, was it influenced by a family member, someone? How did you stumble upon computers and technology? Well, it was actually the other way around, right? I actually have two degrees with her. One, I'm a computer science engineer. The second, I'm a Marwadi from Calcutta. So, uh, you know, probably the second one is bigger than the first one. The reason why I say that is because, uh, you know, uh, there are zero engineers in my family. Uh, hmm. person, most of them are, you know, chartered accountants. They're all, of course, a lot of them are entrepreneurs into the share market and, you know, all of those things. So, so basically what happened was that we started from the point where, uh, you know, most people were really uh, going ahead and, and, and uh, thinking about commerce. Me, when I was in CBSE board, so in my 11th and 12th, when I had to choose between commerce and science and arts, uh, I mean, computer science was something which was always my preference because uh, I love gaming. So, you know, right. really that's it. I like playing computer games. And uh, in, if you're strong in maths, one of the common things is that you're generally strong in logical reasoning. And right. uh, if you know how the computers work, it's basically a sequence of logical events which happen one after the other. And when you, when you, when you ask them to do something, you know, you know, memory and uh, you know the CPU of your system that's called a program so the program is basically a logical sequence of events that the programmer wants uh, the, the, the the system to be performing uh, so it very naturally was something that I was I was always uh, you know happy about passionate about and uh, one thing led to the other hey you know it's okay. going to be computer science. I, I got okay so so you enjoyed gaming you like computer science uh, you spoke a little bit about, you know, your, you come from a Marwari family, so high five to that. I come from a business Marwari family as well. Um, and, I, you know, I know what, you know, being born in a Marwari family around entrepreneurs does to you. Um, but I want to hear your view on this. So how, how do you think that sort of entrepreneurial upbringing influenced you, if at, if at all? It definitely did. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me this question that, you know, the first time you thought about starting up your business, and you asked your parents, what did they say? Was there resistance? I said, no, it was the other way around. Most of them were actually thinking like, this is the reason you were born. <laughs> you know? So, so, so I think, I think it's great because, uh, um, you know, what that comes with, you get to learn how businesses work and a lot of times why they don't work. Out. Uh, you get to learn the old ways of a mm. uh, very different way in which organizations, businesses used to run probably, you know, uh, a couple of decades back versus organizations that, that, that run today. And, uh, you know, I was always uh, uh, fancied and fascinated by how uh, large businesses in India become large, but they are a very, very uh, minuscule in terms of their revenue, in terms of their market cap, and you actually compare them to their peers in, in the North American or the Western European 
region, right? I mean, an Ola is, say, $5 billion, while an Uber is a $50 billion company. Uh, Flipkart is $20 billion, right. while Amazon has become a trillion dollar company, right? They're almost the same counterparts, but they're generally 10 to 20 times of what they are. Sure. So, you get to see that, look, in India, there are some really good organizations. You get to learn what they're doing right. And more importantly, what they're doing wrong. Wrong. And then to what's going right in the American or the Western European market, you can actually compare those two notes and then uh, put the best of the both worlds together and then try to come up with something which works out in today's day and age and hopefully can scale up to, uh, to, 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 to the global best. Okay, awesome. Great thought process there. Keeping your eyes on what's right and on what's wrong. All right, so Sakit, what happened next? So you entered this degree college uh, wanting to study computer science. Did you intern with tech companies? Did you go out there and work with technology companies? What was the journey like? Yeah, so I was, uh, you know, pretty clear about the fact that I want to be in uh, technology, not really cybersecurity. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I remember the first year where uh, I was always a very lazy student. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I had my, uh, I actually bribed my, uh, a guy in the college to go ahead and register myself during a, you know, during a, during a uh, summer course. And I said, you know, just go and do it. I'll come a few weeks later because I'm chilling right now, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, for some reason, my dean got to know about it. And uh, he actually called me from the guy's number saying, where are you? I'm at home. Don't you know about it? And then, uh, you know, and the dean picks up the phone and says, you know, it's me talking and I'm just canceling <laughs> you for, for the summer and you don't need to come back and just come back later. Uh, the reason I brought that up is that was my first year, I still went back to college, uh, literally, you know, <laughs> spent a couple of days outside the cabin of the dean requesting him to go ahead and allow me for the courses in that summer because for me, staying at home for a couple of months without doing something uh, which, which which would excite me, um, you know, when I say excite me, uh, you know, those days, and I'm talking back in like 2010, 2011, you didn't have the, the Courseras and the Udemy's of the world weren't very, very popular. You did have them. Uh, there was OCW, you had NPTEL from IITs, but then, you know, it's always good to be learning from the actual teachers. So I, I requested him of no use. He said, no, nothing doing, you'll not get it. I said, okay, but at least allow me to stay back in campus. And then I still remember that summer where I actually... Uh, that's the thing about me because I was not a you know, when I had my exams, I used to sleep on an average between 10 to 12 hours because you know you need like fresh mind to go to the exams. Uh, uh, even though <laughs> there's hardly times where I used to study things there. But on the other side, the moment the exams used to get over, uh, I, I would not sleep more than four hours because that's the time mm. when I was programming and learning about cybersecurity, hacking. Um, learning about how hacks work and how security works and that right. was generally so those, those those times in which I, I was there especially after the exam which was which was far more intense and uh, far more fun for me the mm. exam times were generally so yeah that's 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 my went as a you know as a, as a freelancer uh, to an organization where i was basically going and training people on cyber security around the country so okay. uh, so I, I went to a lot of colleges in my first, second, third year, and uh, this was 2009, 10, 11, and uh, 2012, I just started this company when I was finally at a point where 
Okay, so you you freelance for a company for a few years, and then you said, "I'm gonna go start my own business." Um, how did you sort of chance upon cybersecurity? You know, there's so many things in the field of technology you could have done. Why cybersecurity, and what is cybersecurity? You know, if you had to just define cybersecurity, what is this field? So why cybersecurity? Before that, let me talk to you about what is cybersecurity. I think why cybersecurity will come from. Um, you know, cybersecurity is required to secure you against hacking, right? Now, the next question becomes that what is hacking, right? According to the Oxford when you make something do that it's not designed to do. So if you use a, you know, if you use a pen and you tear open, you know, a packet using your pen, you hack it. Because sure. it was not to open the packet. Okay. But okay. Let me let me get that right. So if you get something to do something that it's not designed to do, it's called hacking. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. Okay. That's what series is called life hack. Right? Okay. Okay. So All right. Something you're making something do that it's not designed to do. In popular terminology, when a hacker goes on a website and writes a few queries and writes a few statements and is able to extract the list of all usernames and passwords of that website. Right. You are making like do something that it was not originally designed. Right. The website is not designed to give out all usernames and passwords. Absolutely. But yeah. It do that by writing some queries which are uniquely crafted, etc. That, in simple terms, is cyber hacking. Okay. Right? Now, how can you make something do that it's not designed? How can you make something do that it's not designed to do? The simple answer to that question you need to be better than the designer to understand how and what and why that design was done. In other words, if I know exactly that the person who designed this pen, how did he design it, why did he design it, what shape, what size, etc., etc., I can then better twist and bend things with the pen than even the designer of the pen himself. Okay, so you're saying you've got to have a, an upper leg on the creator itself, huh? That's what hacking is, right? Because okay. in other words, hacking is all about knowing technology to the absolute first principles because you understand the fundamental the first principles of how the internet works how computer science works how the operating works how databases work, how applications work etc 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 right so that is hacking and that is cybersecurity. that's hacking so when somebody is interested in computers they automatically become a very very good hacker sure i'll give you a parallel you know who's the greatest hacker according to me of our times in the last 100 years no it's i have no albert, idea it's albert einstein okay then why he knew physics he knew mathematics so very well so very well that he could see things that normal people like you and I 
are not able to see. And therefore, he came up with these formulas, E equals MC square. Sure. Always existed when I existed. I mean, sure. that's a law in, in nature, right? But on the other side, he came up with things because he knew physics much, much, much in depth than what you and I know about. Okay, sure. So he hack physics and come out and extract insights from them. Exactly in the same way, you've got theory. So if I told you that in my school and college days, computer science was of my highest interest. When I go super deep into computer science, how it really works, what happens in the world of computer science, I am naturally able to see things there which most people will miss out. Sure. And when I do, automatically you're a hacker because when you can see more, you can twist and bend things to hack it. And more importantly, if there are others also who are trying to hack it, you know how to secure it. Okay, perfect. That was a beautiful definition, Saket. Very clear. I'm going to bring in the audience a little bit here. So we have a question from Deepti Shah who asks, um, Saket, can you, can you help people bring back unverified Instagram accounts once hacked? Is it possible to bring back accounts? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the good part of Instagram and Facebook is they actually you know, do things in a pretty controlled manner. In other words, what they do is that uh, uh, if you're hacked and they understand and they, they, they can verify that. Because remember, a lot of fake things. In fact, one of the favorite ways of hackers to get an access to your account is to go to Instagram and Facebook and tell them that, oh, this was my account and I've lost access. Ah, to it. Sure. Right. It's a very difficult job on the Instagram and Facebook side to really know that this is a mm. genuine person lost access to the account. So once you do that, uh, and they, you can prove your identity to them. A lot of times, not only do you get back the account, I've seen instances where, uh, you know, whatever messages have been sent from your ID can actually be unsent. Oh, wow. Okay. So it is sent your, from your ID, some bad sure. messages or whatever, 500 IDs, all of those will be deleted in parallel. I mean, there okay. will be no trace of it. So all Fantastic. of those things are... Okay, so Deepti, I hope that answered your question. Uh, Saket said it's very much possible. Taking a question here from M. Gur Sahani, who says, uh, Saket, as most data is now moving from on-premise to the cloud, what are the challenges one should be aware of? So challenges of having data on the cloud. Well, on-prem to cloud is a challenge for organizations, right? I think uh, for individuals, uh, the bigger challenge is from on mobile to on cloud, because you used to store your pictures on an, uh, you know, SSD, a small micro sure. SSD card, or a hard disk, or, and now everything's on a Google Drive. A Google Drive, yeah. Whatever you use, right? So I think I think that's for individuals, and of course, your question can be there for enterprise also. Let me answer both of them. Let me start with the first piece where you said, uh, you know, what do you do for on-prem to the cloud? Uh, for organizations. So for most organizations, right, I mean, I, I don't know of any company which goes to a complete cloud model. It's always a model where you actually have certain things on cloud and you have certain things which are on-prem and, uh, you know, you take care of things. Now, if you actually see there are different kinds of, uh, you know, there are different kinds of stuff which actually the way starting from, uh, you know, if you use a SaaS service, 
right? Which is like a Salesforce or a G Suite sure. or any of SaaS services. Uh, they are actually pretty secure when you talk about the general security norms that they've actually thoroughly invested in the security side of things. I've actually seen most small companies, it's actually more intelligent to go to SaaS solutions than to go to solutions which are, uh, you know, than, than to go with your own homegrown solution because generally more expensive and generally more vulnerable also. So that's okay, the first so, so for small businesses, you like SaaS services and you recommend that small businesses should comfortably adapt to and move over to smaller sort of SaaS services to run their enterprises, right? Absolutely. So that's okay, cool. any then actually, you know, running your own thing because, you know, unlike physical security, it's actually better out here that you let Amazon and the Googles and the Salesforces of the world handle your security because frankly, they've been hacked much more and therefore right. they go in a far better understanding of security than uh, probably you will ever have because, you know, of their investments in cybersecurity. Sure, uh, absolutely. Second piece, which is, uh, so, so that's on the SaaS. Of course, there's the full concept of infrastructure as a service and platform as a service. Now, if a company goes there, uh, I don't generally recommend that to small and medium businesses because it's more like, high, you know, getting a data center, but on top of the data center, you've got to build something for yourself or on your own, which actually requires certain degrees of skill, certain degrees of, you know, competence and things around that. So, which is, which is still work in progress is what I feel. Um, for most small companies, because you don't really have that kind of budgets and things around that. For large companies, of course, it's both, right? You have on-prem, you have on-cloud, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so that's that's there. Now, for individuals, you know, which are actually right now transitioning from, uh, you know, your uh, stuff from, uh, you know, on phone or on hard disk to on cloud. Um, I'm not too worried about the hacking of data on cloud like somebody hacked into Google to steal your pictures. However, the way you access a Google and a Facebook or a Dropbox or a iCloud, the simple thing you want to ensure is you have two-factor authentication. If you okay. just ensure that's the route where the hacks happen, where a hacker gets an access to your system and learns or installs something by which they can monitor your keyboard and find out the whole list of passwords that you're trying, you know, typing. Using those passwords, they can log in and then, you know, steal your pictures or something like that. So I highly encourage people to have two-factor authentication. What most people don't realize, just by having two-factor authentication, you can actually take the probability of breach down by more than 90% in most oh, wow. of your social media. Yeah, okay, 90%. Well, great. So, guys, I, you heard Saki, uh, two-factor authentication to sort of keep the hackers away. Uh, Saki, I want you to talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, what is the, the, the hack of the hackers? Like, if you had to describe the biggest hack that ever happened, like the money heist of hacking, uh, can you tell us what that would have been as, you know, since you're in this field and you probably know all the biggest hacks that ever happened, what, what is like something serious that's taken place in this in space? Yeah, one of the super fascinating hacks that, you know, I think uh, I can call it as the it was literally a money heist of around $11 million. And uh, it happened not very far off. It actually happened uh, with a bank in Pune. And wow. uh, okay. yeah, this was, this was almost out of the sign. I think it was the 11th August, 2018. Uh, it was Saturday evening and, uh, you know, almost two hours, you almost had $9 million of cash 
which was sorry, eleven million dollars of cash which was withdrawn across twenty-eight countries in a span of two hours, physically from ATMs, and these were oh, all wow. using debit of this bank. Now that's not the cool thing. The cool thing there was that the hackers had such a sophisticated access to the ATM network, to the switch, etc., etc., where for those two hours, you could just punch in the debit card of the bank and withdraw money, and the money will not get deducted in your account. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, that was Saturday evening. They stole around eleven million dollars in cash, around eighty eighty-five crore rupees uh, in cash. And imagine this: if you have to do a call for two hours. With people in twenty-eight countries, you can imagine how difficult it would be to set up. And you actually had a real fraud happening in twenty-eight countries, and uh, and nobody's caught even today. Now it doesn't end there. This was Saturday evening. The bank couldn't detect it. It was one of the card companies which called the bank, saying that look, we're suddenly seeing a spike in terms of the cash which is being withdrawn. They immediately blocked all the cards and things around. Them. on saturday evening sunday everybody came to the office and you know there was a war room and you know what's going on etc etc monday morning they suffered a second hack oh wow yeah they suffered a second hack uh this time it was a suit system which got hacked and uh they had around 1.4 1.5 million dollars transferred to a bank account in hong kong and uh that also happened Wow. In total, okay. around a million dollars of cash lost. Uh, this is a bank called Cosmos Bank, and uh, it's a fairly popular bank, especially in the you know, the cooperative bank. So, and and uh, yeah, this is unfortunate. Uh, okay. The number so, of people, you know. so 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 that's the crime side of it, right? Like this kind of money, and obviously people using hacking for all the wrong reasons. Um, is there uh, a side from you know from the from policing or from the legal aspect where you've seen uh, the police using uh, hacking to find criminals? Have you have you can you share a case like that where there's, there's a positive implication of uh, cyber security? Yeah, so there's a very popular concept Vibha called uh, offensive security. Okay. That you're not using security only to defend yourself. You're actually going ahead and offensively hacking your target organizations or somebody who's trying to hack you, etc., etc., and get things done on that side. So it's a pretty popular practice. In fact, there's this report called the Mandian Report, which happened a few years back, which very clearly said that it actually shot videos of uh, full-time hackers, which are employed by the Chinese government. With the only and only objective of going ahead and infiltrate data of uh, various na- nations that uh, China is engaged. With. So, so the point I'm making there is that uh, there's a lot which goes on. Uh, hmm. It just there's uh, a lot that goes. Okay. Yeah, that that's there. So. Okay. Cool. Um, let's let's shift gears back to Lucidius. So you started the company uh, straight out of college. Walk us through the trajectory. You know, like how did it start? What sort of clients were you dealing with initially, and how did you sort of work your way through building the client portfolio? You know, for entrepreneurs in general, what's the journey look like? 
Uh, I started this company back when I was in college, uh, in my final year of engineering. So it is still my first job that I'm at. Uh, we, um, you know, we we were always focused on large enterprise customers. We never went to the small and medium scale customers because uh, the awareness of cybersecurity was very limited always, and the spend has been limited when you go to smaller sure. customers. Uh, I think my first customer was Tata Sky. I still remember oh, that. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, in fact, they continue to be a very good customer of ours. Um, and uh, we've, been, we've been working with them quite a lot. And uh, over the years, uh, we then, of course, had, uh, you know, many, many large banks, large airports, large insurance companies, large e-commerce companies. Uh, I mean, the, the thing about acquiring clients uh, in cybersecurity, because you're in the business of trust. It's really about how do you go ahead and uh, provide some really good service. Because when you provide some good service, any word of mouth, you're in the business of trust. And trust doesn't come by seeing an advertisement. It doesn't come by hearing a webinar. It comes by hearing one of your peers say, you know what, these guys really are good, and you must buy them. So that is something which is, uh, you know, is a very, very critical piece. And, uh, you know, we, we absolutely go ahead and uh, make sure that the quality of what we deliver, both as services and the product that we've got, uh, is top in class. And that's what has really attracted the largest Fortune 500 companies, not just in India, but around the world. Um, uh, which now... Uh, Satit, losing you a little bit here. Ribai, are you there? Yeah, now I can see you, yes. Uh, okay. I think I just have a battery thing. Let me just plug this in also. Yeah, can you hear me? Vibha, can yeah, you hear now me? Yeah, now yes. Okay, cool. I can hear you. The, the visual has gone a little bit hazy. Okay. I think it'll just come back. That's fine. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you you were talking. You, I can hear you. It's all good. Okay, awesome. So you were talking a bit about the the client acquisition aspect, right? And how sort of word of mouth and an endorsement from a peer company will sort of establish that trust. Um, but I, you know, I want to understand right at the start. You know, when you first started out, what what sort of gap in the market did you identify and say that hey, companies aren't offering this sort of service, and I can go up to a Tata Sky and offer this sort of service. Yeah, what, how, what does that gap identification process look like? <laughs> well, the, the thing was simple. I remember in 2012, uh, there were some very big breaches. LinkedIn had got breached. Yahoo had got breached. And some really big companies were getting breached. Uh, I thought to myself and with my co-founders, we thought that, look, there are a lot of cybersecurity companies. There is no doubts on that. But... Even after having so many cybersecurity companies, uh, there are so many breaches in the largest of the companies around the world. Hmm. Now, look, on one side, you've got a lot of companies of cybersecurity. On the other side, there are a lot of breaches. Both cannot coexist together, right? Sure. There has to be something missing out there. So we jumped into it and we said, you know what? There has to be some problem or some area which is not being addressed, which we want to address. And that's hmm. where vulnerability assessment, penetration testing, finding the flaws, 
and now even quantifying it in telling that look this is how secured you are in a scale of 0 to 5 comes into the picture and mm-hmm. uh, that's what that's what most of our customers whether it was Tata Sky or so many after that uh, you know went ahead and liked about us because not only did we come and say look this is what we do uh, this is our approach which is unique we got some of the top skilled people i mean we i think we were one of the in my limited knowledge probably the only company that i know of in the world where there's one of the most difficult examinations in the world called oscp offensive security certified professional and uh, i have uh, anybody who is a part of my services team uh, one of the things is that we make them do by default is oscp certified because if you're not okay. oscp certified uh, we ask you to leave in a couple of quarters so okay. so that just took the quality of people really high and i can tell you that we have some of the most incredible security analysts on the planet which now work with us and uh, that's the reason mm-hmm. why the, uh, the 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 output of what we produce is generally uh, pretty awesome and then we take it from there okay so you you got some of the smartest brains uh, on the planet to come work with you you did a bit of need assessment uh, you know what 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 do you offer right now in terms of you know a solution um that you feel is different from what your competitors or peers are offering or is it not different and it's just the way it's delivered that's what that's what which is what makes it different so is it a unique service proposition or is it a unique delivery proposition well it started by being a unique delivery proposition because there were companies which were doing vulnerability assessment and penetration testing however when we started doing that with a lot of companies with a uh we figured out a need which was very very unique and not being answered if i ask you a very simple question uh if i asked you how secure is your cell phone right now you don't have an objective answer if i asked you how much battery do you have on your cell phone you have an sure. objective real time answer that it's 63% absolutely so that's the need that we identified around 3 to 4 years back and we strategically pivoted from being a pure services company into becoming a platforms and product company we still have our services arm but that's like a wrapper around what our product is and that is obviously extremely scalable with what and how things are okay awesome um can we talk a little bit about the, your funding journey if you don't mind like uh you know at what point did you think you wanted to go out and raise money um how does one go about that process of valuing your company if you could just share for the entrepreneurs on the uh, in the chat like how how is the whole you know valuation journey uh, how did it pan out for you so i think uh, you know when i started building the company we were bootstrapped and we were bootstrapped for the first four or five years it was literally friends and family who put in the initial uh, checks and you know it was just friends and family that we started the company with we were doing very well we were actually doing millions of dollars in revenue with a team of like 22 23 people right because it was a small boutique consultancy and advisory and services company like you know four years back and things around that and we were growing pretty fast but we took a strategic call that look we can be doing this and we were profitable and all of those things but we said look we don't want to be doing this forever what we want to do is really uh you know go out there and build something which is truly scalable and answering need as you ask the right question that not just from the way we deliver something but what we deliver also sure. and that's where the whole idea of coming out with a new product 
which will quantify the cyber risk you're sitting on sure. came into the picture when we did that vibha look my only experience had been to run a services company i did not know sure. how to run a products company product so yeah. i went out to the first few angel investors and simply requested them look i don't know how to build a product and these people were like very very senior product people i still remember my first check i ever got was uh, from uh, anand chandrashekharan anand was a stanford grad sold his startup first startup then was the director of products at yahoo he was a chief product officer for wink which is a mobile app the airtel mobile app then sure. he was the chief product officer of snapdeal and i still remember going to his office in snapdeal pitching to him look this is what we do this is how things are i was of course pitching him to sell to snapdeal also <laughs> so uh so that, that 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 didn't happen but clearly he got sold and uh he was an incredible product guy so more than money what i wanted was to get people who can guide you on how you build product right. sure and uh, at that time he was at a you know million dollar plus ctc where i was like look i can't afford you i can't have you in my team so he said sure. sakit i know you can't afford me why don't you take a small check from me where i become a stakeholder in your organization and then i'm happy to help you you know as an advisor so so you know took a small check and uh, made him a part of the family and uh, and and went from there your question around valuation viva valuation i <laughs> the simple answer to valuation of early stage companies later yeah. stage there are too many multipliers too many proven data points that if you're a company in this sector which will go you in the public you have enough sort of comparables and peers sort of like you know your your revenues multiplier of 5 10 sure. 20 1.5 yeah. whatever depending on the industry you belong yeah. but if you're an early stage company what is the valuation of your company the answer is it lies on the eyes of the valuer it's really that simple mm. right i mean you have to get there are two things which has to be right here the first thing has to be how big can you think and you dream right do you think that this can become a i still remember this story where uh, uh you know the story about john door and larry yeah. page john door was the person who wrote the first check to google of i think 10 or 11 million dollars right and it was from kleiner perkins and there is no looking back right i still remember when uh, john door asked uh larry page that you know what do you think how big can google become and uh larry page said 10 billion dollars so john dewar <laughs> said okay 10 billion dollars in market cap will translate into what are you talking like a billion dollars in revenue or a half a billion dollars in revenue uh so larry page says no i meant 10 billion dollars in revenue right and and in his in his book which is called measure what matters he says my eyes popped hmm he said that look those were crazy numbers for a startup which was doing zero revenue right but the fact that i had a founder in front of me which Who dreamt dream me that big right. Right? right that there is no there is no there's no this thing i mean that was that was that was awesome okay. so you need two people going right one the person you know how big you think this can become Sure. and the second you also need a john door on the other side who when you tell that uh, 
you know who you when you say 10 billion dollars in revenue doesn't think that you're smoking smoking something and coming up <laughs> but actually has the sure. conviction to do his mental maths and says okay saying 10 billion even if i think it's going to be 2 billion dollars i'll still make so much money and you know let me cut a 10 million dollar check for this guy and then back him in true sense so so truly it's, so, it's about the you know this thing and then you know that's where it goes it's about the dreamers ha huh? you got to dream big think big okay cool so clearly you thought big uh, back then uh, you're saying four or five years ago is right when you raised your first sort of official check from three years back three years back wow okay and thereafter have you raised more funding have you had like a official series a b c yeah we raised series a in total we raised 14 million dollars and okay, wow. uh, we are actually india's highest valued cybersecurity startup oh wow okay congratulations on that one uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, the team you know when you started off uh, you said you had like a co-founder etc and you know how did you scale the team what do you look for uh, when you're finding people what is your sort of recruitment metrics that you you sort of uh, have imbibed at your organization Yeah so Vibha there's this very famous saying which i absolutely love when it comes to team building it says a startup is the people it hires and not the plans it makes mm-hmm. because according to plans every startup is a trillion dollar company maybe sure. but uh, but but rubber hits the road with the kind of team that you've got in place right sure so uh, so so i would say that uh, you know one of our seven core values one of them is hire and build the absolute best teams because uh, team is where it really makes all the difference now what have we been following to make sure that you know we get the right people uh well the first thing you know there are two types of people right one we now have over like 210 220 people distributed between the united states india singapore and uh uh the people who report to me right in general my rule with them is that i like people who reporting who report in to me who i would not mind reporting to so sure, wow i like remember that. i'm a, that's a great one <laughs> i'm, that's I'm, a, great I'm one. a first time founder right i'm a first time yeah. founder the average age of people who report to me is between 45 to 55 years of age sure they all come with 20 to 25 years of experience in the industry of what needs to be done and more importantly what doesn't need to be done sure when you recruit people who you can treat as partners and uh, frankly learn from them a lot of stuff which they know how things work and uh, and and give them that space where they can work uh and 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 then put that together i think uh, you're on to something which with with which can work out for the long term in a pretty good way as far as people on ground who which are i'm a very freshers heavy organization also okay every year we take like between 20 to 25 freshers uh with freshers there are a couple of key attributes that i look at and again i know that you'll have quite a few young people listening to this so the first thing which i always like uh you know uh, understanding is uh, what is the proudest thing that a person has done in their life when they are very young mm-hmm. the the worst answer you can give is i've never had a proud moment in my life 
Sure. Because if you spend like twenty years between your college, between your school, between you know everything that you do, uh, what is the kind of proud moment that you've got, right? And uh, that also tells me the barometer, right? Somebody saying, and and by the way, the right answer is what I would look forward in that answer is where can I find some 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 glimpses of tasting pinnacle. So sure. somebody says that look I'm a national chess player I played national table tennis right I played I did gymnastics and I'm a gold medalist there right. or I was the head boy of my school or the president of my college Have you tasted success okay Have you tasted what does it feel like to be Fate on the top and what it takes to get there probably huh? Exactly right and I don't care where it can be mm. academics it can be athletics it can be gymnastics I don't give a damn where the sure. more important thing is have you at some point in your life you know felt what does it feel like to be number 1 and you have sure. a taste for that so that's number 1 number 2 i always look at out of three things uh, that you asked the number two thing which i look for is um, you know is a person scared of hard work so when i ask i it is a simple question you know on a scale of 0 to 10 how hard working are you right invariably the smarter people will say i'm 6 out of 10 7 out of 10 because i believe sure. in smart work well that's a very very wrong answer because if you're smart and you can couple it with a 10 out of 10 hard work then you're going to create magic right because sure. i don't know one incredible rock star which has not been immersing themselves 24 hours a day especially when you're young you see when you have a family when you have people to take care of it's a different you know you have to give time to your kids to your spouse etc sure. etc sure. and that becomes different but when you're but when when you're young i mean that you know that that there's that saying right that arjun looks at the on the eyes of the bird where he he is trying sure. to shoot right that's how it needs to be and then whatever that it level takes, of it can focus. be 20 and and it can take 24 hours a day it can take 7 days a week you don't give a damn till the time you actually reach that focus so the sure. first becomes have you tasted that high in your life success the second mm-hmm. is how hard working are you and the third thing which i really look at uh is 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 the set of values that a person imbibes that you know how much does he care about his family his peers his surroundings um you know how kind is the person that one is actually a tricky one to judge um mm-hmm. over time we've been able to come out with ways in which not accurately but uh, uh but 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 you know uh, you know little accurately you can you know uh judge that you know what is what, the, what what's is the, the right what's the attitude? question you what's the question you ask to get to values well there's not one there's actually a full section of personal profiling that we make everybody do with okay uh, since you asked this question because it's going to be longer so i thought i'll skip it but since you asked this question you know i'll give you uh, so these are all psychological tricks sure. uh where you actually find out a lot about a person so we ask questions like you know how often do you cry wow and when was okay. the last time that you cried we ask and 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 when somebody says that i don't cry uh it it is not a very good indicator in terms of mm-hmm. you know their uh, their psychological uh, you know this thing right i mean you you got to be at a place where now you know everybody can speak about mental well-being blah 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 so so that that's there then there are also things like uh, you know what's your favorite music right 
the if you take the top 5 songs that a person likes listening to and you take the beats per minute of each song and you find the average of that you can actually find out the frequency at a person actually vibrates or uh, oh my god you know what and how things are right uh, i hope then, nobody then... from your team is analyzing this interview because i'm so scared now firstly i hope the data on my phone is secure i hope they haven't been measuring the frequency with which i've been asking the questions or responding i mean this is just very 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 next level and uh quite amazing i have a comment here from nena katyal who says good to know you're changing the ways to hire employees superb uh pooja chopra says hi sakit good to see you here uh aki uh, who says my son has done cyber security in mumbai what further courses should he take he's 16 i think aki uh, sakit answered that in terms of what he's actually looking for uh, sakit you haven't mentioned any hard skills is is you know courses degrees uh, the actual hard skills how much of that are you looking for when you're hiring so you know uh, first i don't understand the difference between hard skills and soft skills so i'll <laughs> i'll explain you why i'm saying that okay, i know probably sure. you know again you're the expert there viva when it comes to skills and education i'm not sure, the reason sure. i'm saying that is right i have been very fortunate i mean i run a company with more than 200 people most of them are very young the average sure. age is around you know 26 27 right so i get a lot of young freshers and uh, you know your thing is reach ib right i mean we actually work with mit where we do sponsored research out there as a startup sure. we are incubated from iit bombay and things around right. that so we've been very fortunate to actually see some incredibly smart young bright people and uh, you know enable some of their careers and at the same time seen some incredible careers happen in front of us also the reason i gave that background before answering that question is that uh and this is not specific to cyber security uh i think you know the the important thing is not uh it's not like which degrees which uh you know which certifications etc 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 right the important thing is it's it's not important of what you stick the important thing is you stick and i'll sure. explain the difference between the two right you see let's take cyber security as an example because obviously that's my area where i know uh, you know I, i know a little there so 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 when you talk about cyber security right i mean it's not about certification right really getting to the bottom like to the absolute ground zero of exactly what does it take for a hacker to get inside you know get the access do lateral movements and from there go down from there like really getting to the nuts and bolts of understanding computer science mm-hmm. not for the sake that tomorrow i'll have a great job or tomorrow i'll do a a b c d e f g but because you enjoy doing that so much where if you're like sure. doing that for 20 21 22 hours a day you don't know that where time went away right when you do so, that so you're looking at the passion component okay that's the only component that matters in my view sure. for a young person and okay, if great. you do anything which is not in that line you're actually doing something against the individual sure okay uh that's very sort of icky guy in and you know that sort of mindset and th- thanks for sharing aki boy i hope that answered your question uh quick question from sudha sharma who says do you also work with indian internal agencies on national security are you doing any sort of national security work sake then you don't have to tell us what a, a yes no answer would do depending on your sort of privacy controls there 
Yes, we do. Okay, I, are you allowed to share anything beyond that? Uh, no, maybe just so a just flavor of no, not really. Yeah, it just you know, there's a lot of stuff that the government internally requires, both for insider threats and with threats from outside. And uh, there are things that we go to the point where we 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 help the government. Uh, in fact, something that I can share publicly, you know, the government of India launched something called Beam that some of you might be using. Um, we've been doing its end-to-end -end security uh, in, during its launch. We did it. We did it for many many years after that. So that's something that was a government of India thing. Uh, on the national security side, there are certain things that you know, time and again, we 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 keep advising. But that's where we are. That's all I can share. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing. So that I hope that answered your question. Uh, I'm going to read out a comment from one of your team members, Shweta Zephyr says. Sakit is the kind of boss who makes you work and makes you love it while you do it. That's because he loves his work with that much passion. Oh, that's very sweet, Shweta. Thank you for sharing that comment. Um, uh, Sudha Sharma, Safe City under Nirbhaya Act. Um, are you trying to ask if he's helping with that? I don't know, Sakit, if you no. want to comment quickly. No, okay, I'm no, he involved, says yeah. not involved. Okay, uh, Sakit, what what is it looking like for the company? Like, what's the next sort of you know what's on your mind? The next five years, ten years? You went from services to product. Uh, you raise sort of Series A money. You have a team of two hundred people across you know four different geographies. What 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 is on the you know blueprint for the company for the next five years? Well, uh, you know the space where we are at, Vibha, we are actually it's a brand new vertical in cybersecurity. It's not an antivirus, it's not a firewall, it's not something which is you know, already out there and we're trying to make it slightly better. We're building a, think of us as the first antivirus. Think of us as the first firewall that actually came in. That's the place where we are, you know, where we are going when you talk about a brand new vertical in cybersecurity. How big can it be? Well, the short answer, very big. Because when you start a brand new vertical, the total addressable market for that is actually pretty high, and that's something which is uh, which is something which is very very exciting. In the next five years, the mission statement of the company is we want to become the global de facto industry standard to measure and mitigate cyber risks. So the way you have a, a you know a credit score, a Sybil score, or a sure. Moody's score, which is for your credit ratings. We'll have yeah. scores for you, individuals, you want to quantify. Okay, fine. And, and we want to become that default, de facto standard for cybersecurity. So that's what we are thinking, Vipa. Wow. Okay. Most definitely sky's the limit. And fortunately, there are no dragons here to break down that wall. So that wall's going to keep extending. Uh, let's talk. Last question to you, Saki. We're running out of time. Uh, Forbes 30 under 30, 40 under 40 by Fortune. I mean, you pretty much have every accolade. Uh, out there for young people in our country, personally for you, you know, what, where do you where do you want to be? You know, five, seven, ten years out, what's what's sort of your drive? You know, what drives you, uh, and where where do you want to take that drive to? Uh, Viva, when you're when you're like when you love dancing, and you're dancing like twenty hours a day. You don't need a drive to make you dance. It's like, if somebody pays you for that, you feel, oh, wow, I'm also getting paid. If somebody doesn't sure. pay you, you don't care. The reason I brought that up is what I do, I mean, I, I am having a 
blast of a time right now where do i want to be in 5 years nowhere this is exactly where i want to be where i am you still want to stay on the an, dance floor absolutely and that is that is that is all i care about that as long as i'm you know having fun and i'm dancing it looks like i should be because i've been doing that for many years now sure <laughs> so the dance floor is where i see myself 5 or 50 years down the lane and uh, the forms of dancing might keep changing uh, sure. but having fun in what i'm doing is all i care about so therefore there's no way to go and when there's no way to go uh, you don't need a drive for anything <laughs> okay awesome saket i hope the music never stops and you keep dancing thank you so much for uh, sharing your journey you know the conversation has been Uh, so authentic and you know i love how every time you sort of balanced uh, learning the right thing to do along with learning the wrong thing to do uh, knowing what's going well for you and also understanding what's not working for you uh, i'm going to take away that balanced approach from this conversation and a lot more so thank you once again for joining and it was an amazing conversation i'm going to replay it and uh, take away a lot more guys please do follow saket modi and lucidius on uh, instagram and stay tuned to this man's journey because he's most definitely going places so thank you saket so much uh, getting a comment compliment here saying by far the best guest saket and uh, i know the kind of guests we've had so being the youngest uh, getting that compliment is amazing priya sharma says very insightful awesome uh, saket i look forward to connecting with you very soon thank you so much meba thank you so much for the opportunity and thank you everybody for spending the hour with me i hope you found it insightful thank you thank Bye. you thank you thank you so much All right, guys. That was Saket Modi uh, closing episode twenty nine of House of Experts. Stay tuned.